Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. There's no special announcements or anything, so let's just jump right in. First up, Lewis from Zest Retro just did a podcast with Lou from Lou's Retro Source to talk about the new S-Video and Composite support that's now officially part of Mr. So they kind of went into details as to what to expect and a bit of the history, but I'm going to give the short, short version just to make sure everybody knows what to expect because I think this is pretty awesome. But the developer, Mike Simone, had originally done a proof of concept of how you would be able to generate these signals natively inside the Mr. Cores and then had a little external adapter that showed how you could use it either with direct video or an I.O. board. So basically super easy no matter what your Mr. setup is. And it kind of started out as a proof of concept and Mike went and added support manually to a ton of cores, almost all of them. And I think that kind of showed Sorg like, hey, this is something that works. Um, they're not leaving me to do all the <laughs> extra heavy lifting and people want it. So then Sorg was able to roll that into the main Mr. Build. So now this is official. You don't have to download any alternate cores or anything. And it really is the best way you could get composite video from the Mr. So S-Video as well. There's a few other ways that are very good for S-Video. However, this is now just the way to do it. And also, I know a ton of people that have their Mr. connected to either a nice flat panel TV or just a very cool flat panel gaming monitor, but they also wanted to pick up just a, a nice free composite video only CRT that they found somewhere just to kind of enjoy it that way. And now you can, you don't even have to worry about it. And the composite looks great. So basically most people are probably going to want uh, an active adapter. There's only a few scenarios video related that you would want a passive adapter but they break all of this down i watched the whole video it's fun as always two awesome people so basically check out lewis's post if you want the direct links depending on where you are uh us uk eu whatever and then i obviously definitely watch the video too because two cool people talking about stuff that is very exciting for any of us in the retro world especially if you have really nice consumer crts and you want to use the mister on it Greg from LaserBear is now opening pre-orders on GunCon 3 IR tower replacements, which are, is really important because you could get GunCon 3s on eBay for still pretty cheap, relatively speaking, without the sensors that came with it. But buying an original complete in box with the game or just the gun and sensors usually go for a lot more money. Plus, these are a little more versatile. It has USB-C ports, so you could connect them to each other or connect them directly, use your own length, USB cables, whatever else. And a little bit of backstory on this if you're not familiar with why you would care about the GunCon 3. But this was a light gun. I'm kind of a little hesitant to call it that because it doesn't work like old school light guns. It doesn't require a CRT. It just requires these little towers to be placed on your display. And it'll work with flat panels, CRTs, anything really. And if you want to use Greg's on original hardware, 
that's totally cool. You could use it, I believe, Time Crisis 3 for the PS3. And I think there's a few other games that support it. However, you could also use it with the Mr. FPGA project, which is why this is pretty exciting uh, for us to hear about, because that way you could have a light gun that works on basically every core on every display that you could now pick up pretty cheap on eBay and buy these IR replacements instead. So they could be purchased as do-it-yourself kits for $18 or fully assembled for $32. It does not come with the cables. So just check the links here. Um, Greg has links on LaserBear to the exact cables that I put the links to as well. I just copied the links right from him. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't try to switch up or anything. I also have an eBay link that shows uh, the latest sales for the GunCon 3s. And I think this is pretty cool because now it just opens up the possibilities for a lot of different cores. And just, you know, I like light gun games. They're a lot of fun. Just some notes. If you want to build your own uh, light gun IR towers for the GunCon 3. Lou from Lou's Retro Source did a video on it a while back, and I'm pretty sure other stores are either about to start selling them or just started selling them. And you know, my apologies if I missed somebody else's store who's selling these. I try so hard to keep up with everybody, but it just, you know, it is what it is. Whoever I see first, I usually list or I do a compilation post with multiple things in there, and I don't ever intentionally exclude people, except Bitfunks always intentionally exclude them, but him actually, one person just to remind everybody. But yeah, so if I missed your store, please let me know. I'm sorry about it. I'll do another post or something. And um, I purchased a GunCon 3, it just arrived. So as soon as these towers come in, I'm going to do a live stream and maybe I could ask Lou to join me too, because I had trouble the last time I tried to use a GunCon 2. So it'd be, it'd be neat to just go over that again and see if I can get this working. But anyway, everything, all the info you need is right there in the post. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLCPCB, and this week I want to go into detail as to how to order PCBs as a case or decoration or whatever else. So let's jump right in. Okay, as usual, just starting out by going to JLCPCB.com, logging into your free account, hitting order now, and uploading the Gerber files. Once it's uploaded, you might notice that there is no preview, and I think that's because there's no traces or anything like that. So just click on the Gerber viewer button right next to it, hit OK, and you get to see the preview right there. As we can see, everything's exactly the way I'd hoped. All the labeling is correct. There's a notch cut out, so it goes around the SCART port, so it's a little bit more of a compact case than last time. But it's a basic design, so confirmed good. Now we could just close out of the tab. And I'm gonna to need to make 20 of them this time to match the amount of boards that we were making. And I think while I'd love to explore messing around with other colors, let's just keep this basic black with white lettering. And I don't think you need to mess with anything else. You might be able to make it a little thicker to make your components easier to assemble or thinner, I guess, but we'll go over that next. It's less of an issue. We do need to make the bottom file as well because the top and bottom are different. The bottom is a complete rectangle. It doesn't need that notch cut out for the SCART port. And once again, you're only gonna be able to view that by clicking on Gerber Viewer because there's no traces. In fact, there's nothing else on here at all other than the holes that are cut, but it's good. So uh, just close out of this. Um, I still have some of these left over from the last time. So I'm gonna make 15 of those and just save it to cart. Then we're going to view cart, and since this is all that we're getting today, just go right to secure checkout. And as usual, you get to choose between what shipping services you want. I want these to come pretty quickly so we could update everybody as fast as possible as to the status. But if you want to check the different versions, the fastest shipping is $30. It's more than the cost of the PCBs themselves. But we could go different methods 
and see how cheap we can actually get it. Uh, you know, shipping's pretty expensive these days, but it looks like we can get it as low as $11 shipping, which isn't bad at all. But I still want to go for the fastest possible shipping just so I can get this back and show everybody. And that's basically it. Then we just submit the order, pay up front, and go from there. And here it is. As you can see, the top board was notched out perfectly to fit around the SCART connector. I have the bottom board preventing shorts if you put it down on a table, and I even added rubber feet so it doesn't slide around. I'll have another video out soon, kind of talking more about the SCART cleaner, why most people probably wouldn't need it, but the few that do would really appreciate it. And also some suggestions on how to get the components for making the case, because very often buying a generic pack of standoffs on Amazon is going to be much cheaper overall for a few hand builds versus trying to just get the parts that you need. Of course, if you're making like a hundred of them, it's a totally different story, but I'll continue that another time. But for now, that was it. Start to finish how or how to order PCBs for cases and decoration all the way up to what it looks like when it arrives. So I've been hearing reports recently of Wii U's that have been powered off for a long period of time ending up getting bricked. They'll come up with error code 160-0103, and it seems to be an issue with the NAND storage on there. And I kind of heard people talking about it, but I didn't have time to do any of the research. And then a few people brought it up, uh, one in the Q&A last week. So after talking about it there, people were nice enough to send me some links to some information, and then Crystal jumped in and was nice enough to do a post on it. But basically, it seems like this is a real issue, and it's not just with modded consoles. It could be modded, unmodded. Um, in fact, the only thing that seems to be a common denominator are we use that have been powered off for a very long time, which now is making me nervous because mine's been sitting over there since I moved into this place and hasn't been powered on since. So I'm wondering if mine's going to be bricked. However, it's kind of interesting as well, because if you have a completely original console, it might be tricky to get this thing working again. Whereas if you have an, a modded console, you could do a NAND backup and you at least have the potential of replacing the chip and reflashing it through some of the backup stuff. So it's, you know, I guess I'm probably the wrong person to go into technical detail about that because I know very little about the Wii U. And in fact, I've been wanting to contact people in the modding community to maybe do a live stream with me to power mine on and go and re rehack it because I think I got halfway through and then stopped after a while. And so, you know, if, if anybody's out there and, and uh, is good on live streams and wants to walk me through what needs to be done, I'd love to do one just to kind of see where my Wii U is at what things I could do to hack it to make sure I have the NAND backed up just in case. But I guess I'll stop word vomiting about this and just say, go check out the links that Crystal put in the posts for more technical info. And uh, I'll talk to people and, you know, hopefully get some more info on it and see if we could all kind of put our heads together and maybe put some guides up on the wiki on discussing how this could be fixed or prevented. And maybe this is preventative maintenance, maybe just like replacing your caps in a Game Gear or Duo console or PCFX, that one cap on the Xbox, maybe the as soon as you get the console you have to do X will now involve swapping the NAND out on a Wii U. The chip doesn't look too crazy to replace, but that's also a very zoomed in picture. So maybe maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, I guess probably not for beginners anyway. But either way, check out the links and we'll all follow up with more info once we get it. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just did a video about another upcoming mod chip for the GameCube called the Kunai GC. And this one's interesting because the functionality uh, right off the bat is about the same as the Pico Boot mod chip that we showed uh, both 
my live stream, Tito's videos, we talked about it here, except the installation seems a little bit easier. And it's not that the other one was hard. I thought the other installation was actually quite easy, but anybody that hung out in that live stream saw that it could be very time consuming. I'm a little bit out of practice with my soldering and I want it to look nice and I want it to be solid. So I took my time, I went slow. I decided that the wires needed to be shorter. So I trimmed and re-ran them. And you know, I think that's what your average person who wants to do a good job would probably go through, which is why that was probably a really boring live stream, but a really good example of what to expect. And this one, you just kind of use an FFC to drop it across and you don't need to run any wires and or very few wires or something. It just, I don't know, it's a completely, it's a different way about of going about the same thing, but it's not just the installation method that's different. This isn't based off of Raspberry Pi Pico. This is based off of its own CPLD and also has the ability to flash different things on the memory chip. So you should be able to do things like boot directly to Swiss and then update that in the future. It's kind of one of those things where it seems like on launch day, this is just going to be a really cool choice. But as time goes on, uh, more things might be added to it where this could be something that maybe you would want over another one. But either way, I love choices and ManCloud did a great job on this one. And of course, Tito always does an awesome job on those videos. So if you're interested in GameCube chipping at all, definitely check this one out. Um, you know, I just I think it's worth watching and of course we'll let everybody know when consoles for you will have these for sale but i don't know i'm just happy to see all these different choices now for the gamecube because for a while there there was only one choice of mod chip and one or two and it was really hard to get them and i don't know I, i'm just i'm happy to see all this stuff now and i'm of course happy to see everybody embracing swiss because that is the piece of software people need to always have for gamecube even if you're still using original discs and original games which by the way just because you're adding this mod chip doesn't necessarily mean you're going to play backups. This means that you could now play, uh, you could boot directly into Swiss and play games from different regions, original games, but with a very easy way to do stuff like, you know, boot in force 480p mode or stuff like that. So, you know, if you're into the GameCube, watch the video, keep an open mind. You Even if you're somebody that uses original games, you might still want this. So this next bit is a giant step forward for preservation of modern games on digital platforms. Developer Hikari Naomi has just released the world's first iOS emulator that runs iOS, iOS, I don't care how you say it, put on a turtleneck and pronounce it however you feel like it. The important part is you could now play, I think two games from the app, Apple App Store on Windows or Macs, and I believe some versions of Linux, depending on how you wanna compile it. But this all, this is all much more important than what's happening right now. Um, the developer has created an open source platform that could be added to that could now start to be built upon so that you could start preserving and playing a lot of these older games. And it's kind of interesting. I got to put this out there. I don't want to be negative, but yes, most of these app stores are filled with shovelware, clickbait, in-app purchase junk. But you got to remember that just because there's a lot of junk doesn't mean there aren't amazing games and it, the preservation for those are no more or less important than the stuff that us older nerds have been talking about since the 90s it all matters and it's all stuff that that you know even bad games really need preserving for a bunch of different reasons but i could absolutely see some of these games that were first released on early platforms being games that really opened up kids entire lives to this 
in type of game and this type of platform. And I'd be willing to bet that there are people now in their early 20s who are writing apps for a living that got started because of these games. So not just the nostalgia of being able to go back and play them is cool, but going back and just really seeing what was it about those games that, that really got you interested and you know all the reasons that I don't need to explain to all of you about why you want to preserve older games, not to mention just playing them. So Stop, uh, Stop Skeletons from Fighting just posted a very good video that talks about this the uh, this emulator, the history behind it, the significance. I got to stop rambling on because their video just did a, a way better job than what I'm trying to do here. I just wanted to make the point that even if you don't really care about mobile gaming, watch the video because I think you'll totally get the significance of it. And I'd love to see the platform built upon. And to be honest, I'd also like to go back and play a couple of those fun games that I played geez, 10 years ago now, you know, there were some fun side-scrolling 8-bit style games on there that I really enjoyed. And I'm wondering, did I enjoy them because they were fun and, you know, I played them a couple minutes at a time when I was stuck in line somewhere, or if I was able to sit with a controller in front of a, a PC screen or something and play through them, would I still enjoy it? I don't know, but I'd love to find out. And hopefully with the help of the community, we can build upon this work uh, and really just kind of see where this goes. But yeah, huge step forward for preservation. And uh, please just watch the, the Stop Skeletons from Fighting video. It's way better a job than I'm doing here. I recently posted an interview with my friend Arturo Sanchez about a project he's been working on for quite a long time that he's calling the Fighting Game Community Optimized System. So FGC OS, but not operating system, optimized system. And this is something that could take any Windows build, you know, Windows 10 or 11, and significantly reduce the latency for everything. So that means if you're a modern gamer, or if you're playing retro games via software emulation, or those new modern versions like the new 16 by 9 stuff and the new builds of like Super Mario 64, doesn't matter. If it's a game and it runs on Windows, you will have significantly less input latency in most cases than you would by doing everything manually and kind of going through the different steps to speed your PC up. Because some of the stuff that we talked about is a little self-explanatory. If you have a 144 hertz monitor, set your PC and games to 144 hertz, you're going to lower latency that way. That's kind of easy. But there's a lot of stuff we talked about that you, it just you wouldn't think that would affect latency at all. So this is a, a very, very big deal. And this is something that I think anybody would be able to use. So if you're a tournament organizer and you have dedicated PCs, then I would just run this on all of them and there you go, you're good to go and you don't have to worry because those dedicated PCs are only used for tournaments and stuff like that. But also if you're just a gamer at home, I also think this could be great because while it's still an alpha and I haven't had a chance to test it yet, the theory that I came up with of cloning your drive and then just booting to the second drive, which, you know, so you clone your hard drive, which is super easy, by the way, buy just any cheap SATA drive for now to do it. Then rerun your Windows installer to clear it all out. Just go to Windows repair, then run this package, then install your games. Now, whenever you boot, you could hit the F key that your motherboard allows, select the other OS, and you boot just to that for gaming, which I think some people might be thinking that's stupid, but I think a lot of other people might be having a light bulb go off like, oh, okay, so I could load my PC down with all of my video and audio editing software and put all my work stuff on there, but then just boot to another drive for games. You could do that now, by the way, but now you could do it and have significantly less latency. So it's still in an alpha state. It's not available for public 
yet, but we wanted to get the conversation started because I wanted to make sure that people understood what was coming. I also wanted to make sure that we defined the difference between OS optimized and operating system. So FGC OS just sounds really cool. So I thought it was a, a good name and I'm glad they, they named it that way. But I wanted to start the conversation. We've already had a bunch of my fellow IT nerds jump in and start talking about different possibilities, including the ones that I just word vomited here. So please listen to the interview if you want more info about it. We tried our best to be pretty clear about everything. And as soon as a public beta is open, I will make sure to let everybody know and you could all just try it out for yourself and see what you think. But I think this is going to be a much bigger deal than most people might imagine at first. So hopefully you'll give the podcast a listen, keep an open mind. And as soon as it's available for public, maybe we could have start having quite a lot faster gaming experiences on PC. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm going to skim through these and just kind of give the basics, but if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and check out his video or skim the post or both. But first up, the new Atlantis Mini ITX board from BatTech, BattyTech, I apologize if I'm getting the name wrong, is now a cheap way to integrate your Mr. with almost any computer case. So this is essentially, I mean this with love, it's just a PCB that you could bolt your Mr. onto and you could kind of have other things wired into it if you'd like, but it's only $11, so pretty freaking awesome. So when I say only a PCB, I obviously mean that as a compliment, especially when price is considered. So. This is something, I have a couple of really cool mini ITX cases that I designed a million years ago for a company that I was working for that are essentially useless now. I think it'd be really fun to put a mister in one of those. So I might pick up one of those just for the heck of it, uh, just to see. And you know what? If I decide I don't want to use my mister that way, it was $11. I could afford to lose $11 or just give it away when I'm done. Um, next, Antonio Valena is... Uh, who is a seller of Mr. Projects, has created an alternative to the MT32 Pi called PicoSynth, which runs on the same microcontroller used on the Raspberry Pi Pico. It's also compatible with the GPIO pins on the Raspberry Pi, making it able to work with MT32 Pi add-ons. So alternatives are always cool. Check that out if you're into it. Uh, Robert Pipe, uh, the person who created the PlayStation Core, Game Boy Advance, Wonderswan, just the, you know, the FPGA guru, Robert, has provided an update on the new secret core he's working on, but has not announced the core yet. So if you're somebody who likes to, likes to be teased on what's coming next, check out uh, the Patreon post and, of course, him on Twitter. And as soon as that's announced officially, we'll let everybody know. Um, Pramod, who is working on NARC, wanted to make code optimizations after completing an initial build, but unfortunately too many FPGA resources must be utilized, so optimizations must be made first. So it's not, you know, probably going to be delayed a little bit, but you know, much appreciation to Pramod for working on this because NARC's a cool one. I want to be able to play that again. Um, Darren O is working on the SNK arcade game, The Next Space. They got to a point where a screenshot of the game was generated from a MAME sprite RAM dump. And while it's not necessarily mentioned that a core is coming, this game does run on similar hardware to other SNK games that Darren has already created cores for. So that's certainly got some potential. But at the very least, when developers start working on stuff like this, that means more preservation, more documentation. And we've already seen just in the Mr. community that when people start doing this, even if a core for that game doesn't appear right away, often info that's learned from that reverse engineering is applied to other stuff. So keep it up, Darren. You're awesome. Um, also, 
Uh, Antonio Valena wants to release another FPGA board in the future and wants to provide it to developers first. So he's requesting FPGA core devs contact him so he can send them a board. There'll be two versions of this, one with the same FP, FPGA as the DE10 Nano and another with double the size. So this kind of goes back to the conversation from last week or the week before, I think last week, about forking the Mr. Project in a way where it's still a centralized resource. I think that's, I still think that's important. I could be wrong. I do have quite a lot of experience in you know, longer term projects like this, but I, I just think something that we're, if we have multiple pieces of hardware that we could run Mr. Cores on, but we're still all kind of working together for the same efforts, that's going to be kind of the best way to go about it. So only respect to all the people working on those other things or all the other pieces of hardware. I hope we do so in a way that's just still all looking back towards the main project and not just kind of saying, here's my platform. I'm only going to provide updates on this one. And, you know, we're going to have to choose between them. And it's never good. It's all just work together. We're all a bunch of awesome nerds trying to enjoy and work on these old games. Next, full operation mode for the PCXT's X-Tide ROM is now optional, or is not optional. It turns out that the full operation mode generates problems with several games in Tandy mode. So full operation mode is helpful if you want to get basic A working. So if you're somebody who uses the PCXT core, you probably want to watch Lou's video because I'm sure I just butchered that terribly, but wanted to at least put that out there. And also, Hotego had made progress in developing the frame buffer for OutRun, and it had to be moved from SD RAM to DDR RAM because of bandwidth reasons. So he's been working on that, and additionally, more work has continued for the Konami CPU and tracing the first CPS3 custom chip has also begun. So a lot of very cool updates and a lot of looks to the future for what might come next for Mr. in this week. So as always, thanks so much to Lou for keeping up with all of this. I could never do it. And uh, I'm just really appreciative that we all get our news delivered to us like this in one spot. So please don't forget to subscribe to Lou whenever you can and follow him on all the proper social medias. It looks like the code for Super Metroid has been reverse engineered and ported to PC, which is absolutely awesome. It's still in early form, it's a beta, and it's still got some bugs and stuff, but if you see what was done to games like Super Mario 64, you know what this means for people who love Super Metroid, which, in my opinion, one of the best games out there, and one of my personal favorites, definitely in my top five, might be my favorite of all time, depending what mood I'm in, I guess. But this is really cool, because while it's still the early stages, so much could be done with this. And I don't know if anybody remembers a few years ago, people... There was somebody, an artist, had put up what it would have been like to do a modern reimagining of it. So still a 2D side-scroller, but with modern graphics. And it was all done in, in software. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't an emulation proof of concept. It was more like an animation proof of concept. But stuff like this would now be possible. You could take something like that, which I'll try to find the link to that video. It was pretty darn amazing. But I would love to be able to see something like that made, plus the 16 by nine hacks implemented in it. And just imagine playing still a 2D side scrolling, but 4K version of Super Metroid, you know, poof, mind blown. I would love to see something like that. You know, and that's wishful thinking at the moment. It's right now just out there for people to try, it's still a little buggy, but I just seeing what happened with Super Mario 64, I see what could happen with this, and I just I'm very excited to see what comes next. So please check out Vanessa's post for more info. And there's also a video that kind of shows some demos on it as well. But it's uh, very exciting to see this and a game that truly deserves 
the the attention that this is hopefully going to be getting. Well, that's it for this week. For anybody watching on video, what'd you think of the camera? I'll explain it next week, but I kind of just wanted to put it out there and use it and see what people thought. But I think this is kind of neat. But anyway, as always, whether you like or hate the camera or whether you're listening audio only, that's totally awesome too. Thank you so much. Without your support, none of these would happen. So I really appreciate everybody who listens and especially anybody who just helps out and contributes in any way, whether it's clicking on affiliate links to buy stuff for the same price that you would normally pay for, but we get a cut or the monthly support services, which are the biggest help or heck just telling your friends that also helps too. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate you and I will see you next week. <laughs>